This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of The Crowncast, and it is a Wednesday podcast. It's the Wednesday podcast where we're going to take a look at what happened in D.C. and why some of it was technically football. Uh, Here to talk to me today and hopefully help explain some of this mess is Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. You and, uh, you know, I like to do this where, you know, you guys don't actually know what your responsibilities are going to be before you come on the pod. Uh, so how do you feel about the fact that you are going to single-handedly explain everything wrong with Charlotte FC today? <laughs> exciting. It might take a while, but it's exciting. <laughs> Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because we asked the right person to do this. Uh, no, I mean, in general, we're going to have to take a look at, at some of the things that went wrong. I do think we'll get to talk about some things that went well. And I think we're going to talk about Latanzio a lot today. Um, Unfortunately, we don't get to start the podcast out today by talking about the game. Uh, Unfortunately, we have to talk about some news that has broken, has come through recently. There have been allegations of sexual assault uh, levied at both uh, Andre Shinoshiki and Nuno Santos. As of right now, uh, we do not have full information of what has happened. You know, Andre Shinyashiki has supposedly been cleared to play again in the MLS. But, you know, my position and our position is that if these things are true, obviously our best wishes go out to the victims. Uh, we don't have the full statement. We don't have everything settled by the courts. We don't have everything done and dusted so we're not going to make any further comments on that other than we hope no matter what happens justice is served uh so for all of you out there who have seen this news come through and have have been worried in many different ways as we have uh we will be following it to the best of our abilities and as we hear hopefully you will hear so we are going to go ahead and move on to the football and Unfortunately, I, the it's it's definitely better to be talking about this football, but it's it's not super exciting to be talking about this football because we're reviewing where we went up to DC. Uh, Ewan, do you want to tell us about where where it all went wrong, or should we start by talking about sort of how we looked kind of good in the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can uh, sort of touch on the early part of the game where we had a couple of things uh, going on, which we'd obviously worked on, um, which were which were working to start the game. Um, uh, we touched on it a little bit on the post-react, the, uh, the idea of uh, Swiderski playing off of Capetti a little bit, drawing defenders out of shape and attacking that space in behind. Um, you also mentioned the, uh, the idea of, of bringing the players together on one side of the field, uh, sort of condensing that area, uh, attracting the opposition into that area as well. And then being able to switch the ball to the other side, where we were getting Vargas mostly in uh, in isolation, uh, which is where you want Vargas, where he's at his best, playing yeah, in isolation wanna, against the opposite fullback. You want to be able to give him the chance to run at somebody. Um, I have previously had questions for Chris Latanzio about whether or not he can set up a team that allows the players to succeed, right? That has been my biggest question. Can you bend your identity 
to a way that you still have the identity of the team, but the players that you have there have the chance to go out and and show their skills, use the abilities they have, and and get the best out of the the many, many, many people in the club. And there's probably an argument that says this extends well beyond just the players, but specifically for formation and how the team lines up and who who goes out onto the field, I have long been asking that question. And today, I think especially since we're going to probably talk a lot of not good about Christian Latanzio, I think it's fair to point out that we came out in a way that allowed us to go and play our game. It looked to me like we were willing to push Carol Swiderski to one side, specifically to the right, where he would have the ability to go out and create overloads. And then Enzo was allowed to come over and play close by, giving everyone in that area a chance to play one-touch ball, to play quick passes, to draw defenders off to our attacking right, and then let Carol or Enzo sort of spin the ball out into a big open space in the midfield and out to the left. And that, as we discussed before, is where I feel like we're going to get the most out of Kerwin Vargas. He's young. With youth comes the ability to run through these huge spaces, comes the, uh, the energy required to be able to do that for you know long periods of time and still handle your defensive duties. It also comes with it the fact that if you do lose the ball in that wide open space, it's usually not, you know, an immediately played three or four passes through your lines in danger. I think that there's a a way to say Christian Latanzio gave both or everyone on the attacking line an opportunity to go out and and commit themselves forward. And I think a lot of that starts with Ashley Westwood moving into the midfield and maybe being a little bit better distributor. Uh, real quick, Ewan, thoughts on Ashley? You know, obviously, first game back for him, he looked okay. He didn't look amazing. Uh, was there anything that stood out to you about Ashley? Um, I thought he looked a little bit better after watching the uh, after watching the game back a couple of times than I did originally after the game. Um, I thought you saw a couple more of the things that he did, which are maybe not as obvious when you're watching the game live. Um, just in terms of positioning, uh, in terms of helping out in build-up, just as almost an option to uh, to, to spread the opposition out a little bit more um, and positioning-wise defensively as well. I think he, given his experience, he is someone who understands his role incredibly well. And I think that speaks to why he, even though we won our last game, came straight back into the side. I think with Latanzio, you see it with uh, Awful as well, who I don't think is as good as Westwood. But I think that as a young, well, not young, but inexperienced manager with a quite a young side, I think he leans on those experienced players quite a lot when he can. So I did think he looked better on the rewatching of the game than he did uh, watching it live. But there's definitely still improvements to make. We touched on it in the uh, in the, in the post react of him, you know, getting a card for his uh, for his performance. Um, which I still think is probably fair on balance because you just expect a little bit more from him uh, in terms of build-up, even though the team wasn't set up to get him on the ball too much. Um, but I do think maybe in a different game, a different match plan, we might see a little bit more out of him that's obvious to how he's con- uh, how he's contributing. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I'm a big fan of, one of the things I, I believe about football is players tell you about other players. And if you watch when Derek Jones gets the ball, there's a collapse around Derek Jones, right? Just everyone sort of funnels in towards Derek Jones. And the reason for that is that people are confident Derek Jones is going to get the ball and hold the ball. But there's not a ton of confidence he's going to be able to progress the ball. And we know this about Derek. That's not his strong suit. He is an, a very good reader of the game when it's coming at him, and he cuts out play really, really well. But, you know, long-range progressive passing, not his skill suit. So if you watch the players around Derek, when he gets the ball, they collapse toward him, right? It's a vacuum. Watch players, and this is something that I had to see on rewatch because I do believe I was the one who carded uh, Ashley Westwood. When Ashley Westwood gets the ball, everybody spreads out. And whether that is a matter of what these guys have seen in training, whether that's a matter of what these guys are, you know, just envision he can do, there seems to be among Charlotte FC players a Ashley Westwood has it. We're fine. Let's spread out and give him options. And I like that. And I think that that freedom early on is part of what gives us the ability to play through lines. Unfortunately, we don't make good on the time that we have control of the game. Uh, we have a couple of opportunities presented to us. We don't actually finish any of them. And well, then it goes back down the other way to a place where we see we see Derek Jones, a defensive midfielder, getting shoehorned into a left center back position and makes an error that I think is probably fair to say is a defensive midfielder playing center back. Uh, Ewan, does it, it, I mean, I think first and foremost, for me, it's absolutely a foul. Is it a foul for you as well? Yeah, I know there was, uh, people weren't happy with the bad decision on this one, but I think in that area of the field, if you're dangling a leg like that, I just think you, you kind of, you're putting yourself in trouble, whether there's loads of contact, whether there's only a little bit of contact, it only takes a little bit of contact. You, you're bringing trouble upon yourself when you start doing that in the box. So, yeah, for me, I thought it was a penalty. And rarely do you see the the VAR that stops the game whilst the ball is still in play to make the uh, ref have a look at the screen, which usually tells you that it's pretty obvious. Uh, and that's obviously what happened on this one. Yeah, for me, it's a penalty all day. Yeah, Everybody knows my thought process here. I flip the script. I say, if that was Carol Swiderski, do I want a penalty? And my answer is yes, every single day. Uh, so, so unfortunately, it also means it's a penalty against us. I don't think that there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, I think we say, you know, Derek Jones, thank you for your service as a, a fill-in center back. Thank you for all the, <laughs> the work you're putting in there in a position that's not yours. And... I guess good luck because there's, you know, maybe we should talk about a little later whether we're going to see him again. But it's a it's a mistake. It leads to a, a penalty. The penalty is put away home relatively well. I do think Marks gets a hand to it. Do you feel like Marks should have been stronger there? Or do you think that's just a, it was hit hard enough. Even if you jump the right way, there's not a lot you can do. Yeah, I think in the same way that when a penalty is saved and sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, it was a good height for a goalkeeper. I think that was probably the definition of quite a bad height. I think when you hit a penalty that low, you don't fix it that well because it's just, it's, it's a race against time for a goalkeeper and that low. Uh, 
So even though it's not right in the corner, and that's why he's able to add to it, it's really hard to save a penalty that is that close to the ground. So, yeah, I think he probably did well to get a hand to it rather than it being a case of he got a hand to it, he should have saved it. Yeah, and I think for a bit of a good change, we're not really going to be talking about Bar- Marks in this one, despite the fact that three goals go by him. Uh, we will probably touch on really quick that we see the first ever appearance of Justin Merrim. And I think that's all that needs to be said, because I don't think I heard the commentators say his name at all, except for the time that he came on. <laughs> it, he didn't really seem to have an effect on the game. Admittedly, we kind of been pushed back and lost control of the game at that point. But I think there's probably an argument that we gave Kerwin Vargas a lot of space to run around early in the match. And by 60, 65 minutes, he was probably pretty tired. The substitution makes sense, especially if it was a pre-planned one. In comes Justin Merrim. He gets the opportunity to go out and show Charlotte FC fans what he's made of. Turns out, it was something, again, not didn't really feel like he made much contribution to the match. Any any thoughts on Justin? Yeah, I think um I think Vargas goes down with a little injury in the first half. Um we got some treatment on the uh on the pitch for that. And I don't know if um if if that was what encouraged or that was what dictated that that Merrim was going to come on at that stage in the second half. I wonder if because of the uh, lack of depth that we had at the wing, that they were really hoping to get maybe not 90 minutes, but at least sort of 75, 80 minutes out of both of the, uh, both the wingers who started because that depth just wasn't there on the bench. Um, but yeah, Merrim comes on with about half an hour uh, to, uh, to, to impress. And it's probably a case of if uh, if the graphic doesn't go up showing that he's coming on and the uh, camera doesn't show him coming on the pitch, there'll probably be a lot of people who didn't didn't know he played in the game. Um, or at least like maybe on the 80th minute he gets the ball and it's like, you know, when did he come on? And it's like, oh, 15, oh yeah. 15 minutes ago. Um, which is not entirely his fault. We just, it was a case of one of those games where the longer it goes on, the worse the team seems to get. So for a winger, that's not exactly ideal. Is not it, going to be seeing a lot of the ball when the uh, when the team isn't functioning too well. Yeah, is it fair to say that there are a lot of people getting sort of emergency deputized into positions right now at Charlotte FC? I mean, what <laughs> half of our team is players who have been you know deputized for the position in an emergency? Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- there was the uh, there was how many uh, D up the uh, the club official account tweeted out like let's uh, you know how many I can't remember exactly what it was but they were saying can we hear it for uh, for how many D up making his MLS debut and it's like that's probably not how they envisioned it happening in those uh, no, in those circumstances they uh, probably envisioned it being um, something a bit more uh, of an organic sort of bringing into the side rather than the circumstances that it happened in which again that speaks to your point to. To be fair, I do think that the way they have envisioned everything this season was, I, I assume at the beginning of the season, they envisioned us like holding a, I don't know, like a parade every month for us winning every game 10 nil. And I haven't gotten to go to that parade yet. <laughs> uh, so, so I feel like everything they have envisioned for this team has come to pass in some dimension that's not ours. Uh, Wow. Oh my gosh. Now I can't think of the quote. Uh, but there is some reference out there to, to this is the darkest timeline. 
and it is the darkest <laughs> timeline for Charlotte FC right now. Uh, and so, <laughs> so oh, it is community. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> the Crown Cast is not sponsored by Community or any of Community's <laughs> affiliates. Uh, no, we. It, it really is like we have so many positions now that are that are out of place, and I think we're going to talk about Christian Latanzio and what he's had to face in sort of this amalgamation and mess of trying to put a team together. But we are going to have to talk about Harrison Awful again. Unfortunately, we're talking about him for the wrong reasons again. Um, the second goal is a is a bicycle kick. And everyone out there who is following along on your bingo card of misfortune from Charlotte FC memes page can go ahead and chalk that one off, you know, the tile where the other team scores the goal of the year against us and we end up in all the headlines for being terrible. Yeah, go ahead and mark that off your bingo card. <laughs> this is, I mean, it, it's fair to say the finish on this ball is world-class. And it's world-class from a player who was once regarded as one of the hottest striking talents in the entire world. He has not necessarily lived up to those expectations. I think that's fair to say, since he is currently the starting striker at DC United in the MLS. But he absolutely had a moment of quality. But it's a moment of quality that is given to him by a pretty basic mistake from Harrison Awful. You are taught from the very beginning, whether you're a keeper, whether you're a defender, whether you are a striker who just happens to be back in defense because that is what is needed of you at the moment. That if you are going to clear a ball away, you clear a ball away to the outside. Or you have full control of it on the ground and you are smashing it way up the field. Right? And, you know, okay, so really we could get into like super dynamic build up from the back offenses that pass out. But we're certainly not looking at passing out in this situation. Harrison Awful should be heading this ball to the left. He has a little bit of time to see it coming. He's the first one to the ball. He should be clearing this ball away from the goal and into a position that is not dangerous and has much more challenge to become dangerous. Ultimately, he tries to head it directly away. He does not get very good contact on the ball. It goes six feet in front of him and sets up perfect for Charlotte FC to become the, the team on which the goal of the season was scored again. Because I think... Uh, before that one, we had the Olympico. This is just killing us. I mean, every time we turn around, we are the ones on TV for the wrong reasons. Thoughts on how you change this, Ewan? Yeah. I mean, we also had last season, we had uh, teams going from the halfway line as well um, against us. Don't, so don't make it worse. It's almost, <laughs> <laughs> it's, at this stage, it might not be a, a, a trait of, of this season. It might just be a, a, a club curse that... We might just have to deal with. That. No, no, we're is, not. Uh, we're not using. We're not using the c word on this podcast. Um, we're no. not using any of the c words on this podcast. But we're also not using the curse on this podcast. Uh, this team is is blessed and will only experience yes. a great and beautiful future. We are very, very, very confident of that. We say with very little confidence. Uh, yeah. re really. I think. I mean, uh, is this individual error? Yeah, I think the the thing with this goal is that you almost look at the the uh, the mechanics of his kind of head movement on the clearance, and you could almost make the argument that he is trying to do exactly what you 
um, suggests that he should do, which is absolutely right, which is head it away from the danger uh, to his left. He kind of flicks his head in that direction, but because his body is moving in towards the center, it's almost like his body, the momentum of his body moving towards the right with his head flicking to the left almost makes the, the ball <laughs> just go perfectly central. <laughs> like those two things merge together to tee the ball perfectly for... I mean, if it's if it's not Benteke with the uh, overhead kick, I actually think there's another. I believe there's another DC uh, player who would have come onto that ball, um, facing the goal, uh, and either volley it or maybe take a touch and and have a shot. So I almost feel like he he tried to do exactly what you uh, said he should do, but maybe coming towards the ball with that momentum moving his body maybe he would have had a better chance of just heading it in the direction he was moving outright, even though he's further to the left, because that maybe would have just given him a better chance of getting 15 or so yards on the, on the header rather than trying to flip that momentum so much and end up just having the ball go, I think directly in front of him as far as North South of the pitch. So yeah, you, um, it's you definitely a, a personal error. You make a really good point there that, I should probably give more credit to is that his momentum is going in the other direction. And maybe you're right that he gets sort of a equal and opposite actions thing that just results in, in sort of neutral. I, I do wonder, and this is one of those things that, you know, you, you see these guys and you have to give them the credit that they're due of being professionals, right? Should he have headed it across? Like that's something I'm going to go back and probably look at again is whether or not, if he knew he had that much momentum, should he have just, you know, full sent it all the way back to the other side of the pitch? This is all, you know, hindsight stuff now, right? Ultimately, what comes out is is a perfectly set up ball either to Benteke or to whoever probably had the better shot that Benteke took the opportunity away from. And uh, and that's it. Dallas, or uh, uh, not Dallas, uh, Col- no. DC, help me. I'm... I'm losing my mind. Uh, DC United go up uh, 2-0, and it pretty much looked dead from there. Um, DC really got their really got their hands on the game and sort of just wrung the life out of it. You have a pretty good sort of breakdown of the third goal that is a little bit more friendly than mine. Do you want to share your your thoughts? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I just this is one of those goals where I think. You, uh, you you consider the circumstances, consider the uh, the game state, and you almost you know you throw it away a little bit. There's uh, there's some stuff in there which you can work on, um, but ultimately I think it's the shape the the shape of our team, the shape of our rest defence is not something that we would see in a say game nil nil half an hour in one nil up, sixty minutes in one nil down. 70 minutes in, anything like that, more neutral game states. This is a team 2-0 down in stoppage time of the second half, chasing um, sort of chasing a goal. Even though at that stage it was so deep in injury time, it might not have mattered for the uh, result ultimately, but we have a lot of players at the field. And not only that, but it also we have a situation where uh, Byrne is caught in a uh, in a situation where he has to decide whether he's going to go to the ball or whether he's going to track his man. He ultimately takes the more aggressive option because, again, the game state, you know, we have to be aggressive. You have to win the ball. He doesn't win the ball, and they are in behind with a lot of support. Um, And it looks really sloppy. 
it ends up being quite a good finish. Um, but for me, structure-wise, I, I don't know how much you can take from it. Um, but as I imagine you'll you'll be uh, you'll be alluding to here, it's it's sloppy. It, it doesn't look great. Yeah, this is one of those that it sort of it sort of lines up to say what we already know. Um, an opportunity is not taken uh, on the right side, and Nathan Byrne does get does leave space in behind. And Nathan Byrne is never catching back up to that play. Um, that's just part of having a defender at the age of Nathan Byrne. We know that both on the right and left, we are not fast in those fullback positions. I do think that sort of the flowback defense in the middle of the field was fairly well marshaled in this case. I think Derek Jones does a good job of taking up that second man run position. I think that it is a very good ball that splits the defense and, you know, sometimes you do have to look at the other team and say, well done. I don't particularly like doing it. Um, it just feels wrong to me. But I, I do have to admit that the ball that splits that first defensive line in Derek Jones is, is very well hit and well timed. And ultimately, there's nobody, you know, we have pushed high enough up that there's nobody who's capable of getting back to to stop that run from the back post. And like you said, it's a good finish. It puts the game away. The game was pretty much already away. Uh, this is something that we are going to, to have a lot of frustration over because we saw a team that, that didn't get ripped apart one game before. And then we, we come out here and we see a few minutes of Charlotte having some opportunities, of Charlotte looking like they could develop. And then after 20 minutes, well, they're just getting ripped apart again. And eventually when you have the same thing over and over, you have to look higher than just the players. And I think for myself and for a lot of people, we are looking at Christian Latanzio and people are getting their pitchforks and I don't necessarily blame them. I do think there's a question to be, to be asked Ewan about what is fair to lay at the feet of Latanzio and what isn't. So obviously the center, center back position has been a lightning rod for misfortune um, to, to tragic levels. It has been a lightning rod for misfortune. And in this game, the reason we give up the first one is because we have so few defenders. We're now playing a you know central midfielder as a center back purely for his height. I don't think you can lay that at the feet of Christian Latanzio. There are a lot of other things in here that maybe we can. What, what do you, where do you feel like the line should be drawn with what is, what is Latanzio's responsibility and what is just really, really bad luck? I think, like you say, defensive personnel, you look at it and it's hard to blame Latanzio for, uh, for any of it, really. You touch on the, uh, the depth at centre-back or the more sort of non-existent depth that we, you know, the fact that Derek Jones is the next option if we get one injury to one of uh, Tuiloma or um, or Melanda, uh, with the other option being potentially, again, Nathan Byrne we've seen playing there. That's another player playing out of position. Um, the left-back situation is is well documented that we don't have a lot of depth there either, and we seem quite unwilling to sign anyone to play in that uh, in that role and we've even let a, uh, a young player who I think a lot of people thought was quite promising um, who plays that position uh, be released in uh, Adam Armour so 
defensive personnel wise, it's it, it's hard to be too harsh, um, because it's just it, it's so frail, and it doesn't seem like there's too much of a willingness to recruit majorly in 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 those positions. It's more a case of recruiting a lot of uh, attacking players, you know, the wingers, the playmakers. Um, which I think then you can get to that stage and say, well, we've put a lot of resources into those positions. Why don't we look more exciting? Why don't we create more chances? Why don't we score more goals? Just bring it to the basic levels. We have all this uh, all this talent in the side. Um, and I think that part comes down to the fact that I don't think a lot of the players attacking-wise and in the midfield are profiled very well to play the football that Latanzio seems to want to play. We uh, don't have a lot of experience of him as a head coach. This is his first head coaching job. Um, but when you hear him talk in interviews when he first took the job, um, saying that his philosophy was similar to Patrick Vieira's, who he worked under, obviously. You compare the teams that he's coached to this Charlotte team, the touches don't match up very well. And the styles they those teams play with that 4-3-3. A lot of athleticism in the midfield. Um, who want to get forward. Rather than sort of, rather than invert, and uh, and be, you know, just even when they're not inverting, just no real intent to overlap or underlap. It just seems like a team that has not been recruited with a head coach in mind, and has rather been recruited knowing that the head coach is gonna have to be adaptable to it because they're getting their first head coaching opportunity and they know they're probably not going to get much pushback if they don't recruit in a way that he would probably think is ideal. So I have a good question for you here, and that is it has often been laid at the feet of managers because, you know, we don't really get to talk to the backroom people almost never in a football club until there is like widespread anger. Do people above the manager, the head coach, really come in to the firing line. And even that tends to happen for like civil rights violations or, you know, really, really egregious things. A lot of successful clubs look to the manager and they say, we need you to manage the players, but we also need you to upward manage, right? We need you to be able to go to the negotiating table with whoever is sitting above you at the time and say, here's how we succeed. Here's what I need. And I need you to get me these things. And that's a skill. Upward negotiation is a incredibly difficult skill. But it seems to me like Christian Latanzio is a company man. It seems to me like he's being told, here's what you're going to do. Here's what we're going to give you to do it. Go make it work. And like maybe there's a little voice inside the back of his head going, well, that's not going to work. These, these resources that you've given me are not going to achieve what I'm trying to achieve. And even if it's not a, a gap in talent, right? Even if it's just a, how that talent can be applied, it seems like there's a little birdie in the back of his head going, this isn't going to work, but it's not getting voiced. We're not, we're not seeing the club react in a way that is in line with the ideals of Christian Latanzio. So I can only imagine that he has no power in any scenario to upward manage and influence the club. Would you say that's a reasonable thought? I think that's fair. Because I think if, if you look at the ways where a uh, head coach would maybe have 
leverage, so to speak. Um, you could say they would have leverage if they were a really popular head coach. Um, people were fairly happy with Latanio getting the job in the first place. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't overwhelmingly um, happy, but people seemed happy enough. And now people feel a different way about him. So, uh, well, for the most part, people feel a little uh, differently about him. So there's no major leverage there. Then you could say, well, is the leverage in, in his contract? Is this someone with a with a four-year deal who has a, a lot of leverage because we know they're going to be here for a long time? And if they don't want him to be here for a long time, it's going to cost a lot of money to change that. Um, whereas he only has a deal until the end of the 2024 season uh, with an option for 2025, which I believe is a team option. So for him, he has a contract up to 2024. So there's no leverage in that. And then it goes to what did he agree when he um, when he got the job on the permanent basis? Was it an idea that he was not going to be involved in the recruitment at all? He was just going to be a, what he's always been in his career, a really direct player coach? Or was he told that he would be more involved and that's not happened? It's It goes back to what you mentioned there that we can piece some of this together but some of it is stuff that we it's information that we're not privy to yeah and it's it's something that we have not been privy to and it's going through the fans base right now i mean you can go online and you can find i'm not a big fan of twitter i think that twitter is a terrible place uh you know, I, I think it serves its purpose like many other things, but I think that it's really easy to sort of fire off things on Twitter without a lot of thought process behind them. You don't get a lot of a lot of uh, characters by which to to say why you feel something. So it's often really, really hot emotional takes at the moment. But uh, some of the some of the Latanzio out hashtags are some of them are ruthless. I mean. Uh, I'll I'll read you this one, which is just just sort of deflating. Uh, hashtag for the crown has no heart. One goal goes in and they deflate worse than a whoopee cushion. Hashtag fart noises are better. Hashtag Latanzio out. And that seems to be a growing sense of the fan base, right? It seems to be that it's not just one or two voices anymore. It's not just the people who are speaking the loudest. And I'm not going to go so far as to say it's the majority, but it's definitely, we are, we are reaching the point where people are angry that their football club is not producing. And, you know, one of the questions we've always wanted to sit down and ask is I wish we could sit down with the directors, with Zorin, with Christian Latanzio and say, what was the goal for this season? What was the, you did a good job? Was it, we want to go compete? Was it, we want to get through this season because of the, of the very unfortunate loss that we experienced? What was the goal? And are we anywhere near completing it? And I think for most people, they'd say, no matter what the goal was, we're nowhere near it. We're bad, right? <laughs> for me, and this is kind of just for me, I think I reached the point of this game where I saw that we're seeing little pieces of good. We're seeing him set up in ways that can let our players go play. But the moment they get countered, there's no answer. The moment there needs to be a change, there's no response. He does not seem to me to be capable of managing the team below him or 
the office above him in a way that is going to bring this club success. And so unlike some situations where someone is just clearly bad and you really don't like them and your pitchforks and torches, I think I've just sort of, I feel like Latanzio has left my good graces with a whimper, right? Like at this point in time, if Latanzio leaves tomorrow, I'm probably not going to be that bothered by it. Um, I do think there are some people who feel much more strongly than that. Uh, but Ewan, where do you sit on this? Would you say you're still, this guy needs time or have you reached Latanzio out? Um. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because I think I think my overall view on Latanzio is that he is I think it's very clear that he's an assistant coach, sort of player developer, you know, analyst type guy in his first role as a head coach. Because there are the um there are the parts of ideas that you see from us are good. You see good stuff on, on the pitch. There's some pressing structures which are really impressive stuff that you can put together in the week um like you say we come into games with quite decent patterns that end up with us getting the ball in base and showing some threat which is the kind of stuff which you can put together if you um, if you do a lot of sort of analysis in the week and look how a team sets up and want to attack that directly the lack of experience as a head coach shows when you get to the part uh, the uh, the parts of the game where adjustments are required um, I know people get unhappy with him not making substitutions, whether that be not making substitutions early enough or not bringing on players who they people feel should be on the pitch early enough or sometimes not at all. Um, I think that's ultimately my overall view on him. I think he's someone who is good at the jobs he's performed for the majority of his career. You can tell that he's a really smart football, um, really smart football guy. All right, but you in the case. Yeah, you've, gonna, you've yeah. talked around this. You, yeah, you've made a very good case to say nothing. So I, I'm gonna yeah. ma- I'm gonna make you say it. Are you are you hashtag Latanzio in or are you hashtag Latanzio out? Uh, I'm 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 Latanzio out with the context that I wouldn't have given him the job in the first place. So I don't <laughs> I, I don't want I don't want to seem harsh saying oh this guy's had ten games get him out. I I, I didn't think he should have got the job in the first place. And yeah, you know, that's. It seems like that would have probably been the smart thing to have looked elsewhere. So on the basis of that, I don't think he should have got the job in the first place and it hasn't really improved too much. I think that, yeah, if if it's got to be in one camp or the other, Latanzio out is where I would be. Yeah, and I think I'm very similar. I have just barely crossed the fence, the Latanzio out. Um, and that doesn't mean there's no way back for him. That doesn't mean he couldn't get a couple players in and, and really create something special here at Charlotte or wherever he goes next. Um, because this will not surprise anyone no club has a football manager forever. Uh, take a look at Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, who was there for decades, and even he eventually sort of fell to time. We're going to move on here because I, I think that we have to to step away from DC and away from the conversation around how Latanzio is doing and into what Latanzio has to do next because it doesn't get easier. The next series, the next run of games for Charlotte FC is not exactly inspiring. Um, I am pulling it up here. We have New York City FC, who we're going to talk about in a moment. We have Orlando City. We have Atlanta United at Atlanta. Uh, We have Chicago, and we have Nashville. Uh, After that, 
sets up LA Galaxy in Philadelphia, back to Columbus, and then Seattle Sounders. It, the, there's a lot of good teams in here. Um, there's not a lot of opportunity to catch your breath. I think most people would argue maybe the best opportunity is Orlando City at home, only because we have already beaten them. Is there is there a time in here where you and you feel like you get to, you know, come up for air? <laughs> um, I think one of the cases you can make is that are we potentially a team suited to playing stronger opposition? Um, that would be one of the ways of looking at it to try and <laughs> be a bit more positive about the games that we've got coming up because you're right, they are tough. I think you can say two things on it. I think one, you can say these games are good opportunities to kind of flip our standing in the conference because we play other teams uh, in the East who are not right around us, but are in the places where we would ideally like to be, those lower playoff places, kind of a, a realistic target of where we would have been thinking we'd like to be at the start of the season. So it's an opportunity to to get three points against those teams and stop them getting any points. Um, but at the same time, we spend so much time in games against teams who are happy to have us, who are happy to let us have the ball, trying to create fake transition moments, trying to draw them in to create space in behind, that maybe there's a case that like in the Columbus game, when we play stronger teams, it's going to play into our hands, let the players that we have out wide with pace, it's going to play to their strengths. That's definitely a, a very rose-tinted way of looking at it because there is the flip side of these games looking more like uh, DC United away and looking more like Atlanta United at home. But I think there's definitely a chance that they'll look at this and think, well, we have some good defensive midfielders. We don't have great fullbacks, but in games like this, maybe we'll have more opportunity to give them support whereby it's not seen as negative, it's seen as more pragmatic. Uh, and we can try hit teams on the counter without having to create it as kind of a, a fake transition. It can just be a real counter-attack. Um, but again, it's 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 rose-tinted thinking for the most part. Um, but that will be probably how the game plan this, and it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I feel like maybe you could argue that Chicago and Orlando are an opportunity to to maybe go and get something. But even those two clubs, I mean, they're sitting on 11 and 14 points respectively. And while they both have a, you know, a goal difference of zero, they have let in as many goals as they have scored. Charlotte FC have a goal difference of minus nine, which is not, not inspiring. You know, these clubs are above us in the table, having played still having a game in hand and with significantly better numbers. Uh, especially when it comes to a team like Orlando that doesn't seem to draw, they seem to win or lose. And I personally like teams that go out to win games. I feel like they win a lot more games because they're going out there to take it. And every now and then something slips. Maybe we get uh, you know an opportunity there where something slips. Let's look at the immediate future because we are going to play New York City FC. And I think that one thing you and I can both agree with agree with each other on is that they're terrible and we're going to destroy them. They're, <laughs> they're a team full of people that really don't know how to play football or even what football is. And I am definitely lying to you, my dear, lovely listeners. They are a very good football team and we have reason to be concerned. Uh, they, they are coming into Charlotte. Is that correct? Yes. The next one is a home game. 
uh, they're coming into Charlotte. And I'll, I'll be really honest with you. Normally, I leave this to Josh because I don't ever want to sound too, you know, in love with the other teams. The way that this team in New York City FC is set up, it looks like I personally went out and set up a team in my dream situation. They are young. They are fast. They have talent in multiple positions. They have wingers that are rotational, young, and dangerous. Um, if you look at the top of their field, they have... Uh, I'm going to pull this up here. They have uh, Pereira, Rodriguez, and Magno sort of all in that two or three goals range with assists. Uh, their forwards are producing. They're, they're making good use of what's given to them. And they all have pretty good numbers. They're, they're midfielders. Uh, I think right now, is it they're playing Lenzema? Is that right, Ewan? Uh, yes, yes, that's okay. right. Lenzema is a 22-year-old. He's young, but he looks like he's owning that midfield space. He's got a couple of Americans who are used to playing with him or used to playing together and are a little bit older to help sort of hold the midfield down. The back line behind him, the only space where you would say maybe they don't have a lot of speed or a lot of youth, that sort of attacking verve of youth, is in their central defenders where you kind of want older, more stable heads, right? And those guys, it's not like they're playing 37-year-olds. I think one of them's 28 and one of them's 33. So they're an effective, well-set-up side that you know is a part of the city group. So anyone who knows Manchester City knows that this isn't a farm team necessarily, but it's definitely a team that is, is taking very young talent and seeing what it can do. And as a result... It's set up as a team with very young talent that looks really, really dangerous and really threatening. Ewan, uh, do you see a place where Charlotte FC is getting in on this team where they're regularly going to have an opportunity? Um, I mean, yeah, just to just to add to what you say there, obviously not a direct farm team, but kind of as close to one as you can get uh, in uh, in world football. Um, with the ownership setup, City Group, and everything like that, uh, which I mean, if you could, if you could put together a, a farm team on paper, this is kind of what it would look like: a lot of experience uh, defensively, allowing a lot of young, exciting attackers who might one day be this or that and have a lot of potential. Just kind of let them do their thing, um, which kind of leads into areas where we can maybe, you know, find some weakness in their team. Uh, they they press from the front. They have the, uh, it's kind of this 4-2-3-1, uh, 4-3-3 hybrid setup that they'll press with. Um, they're happy to kind of go after the ball carrier in a, it, it, it's a mixture because they'll 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 press to win the ball and they'll also try and direct build up out wide as well. They'll be opportunistic with trying to win the ball, but a lot of the time they're trying to funnel the ball to the fullbacks uh, and then really apply pressure there, which... I know you asked me for where we can maybe attack the opposition, but that's certainly something we have to be wary of uh, as a weakness. Our uh, fullbacks against their, uh, 
high press and just the speed that they have uh, in those areas. But I think if they're going to come and be aggressive, which they uh, they have no reason not to, given the league standings of the two teams um, and the uh, the tendencies of their coach um, to play aggressive, I think if we play a direct style a la Columbus, a la the first goal we scored against uh, Orlando, where we're willing to kind of play more direct, there's going to be... Uh, I mean, one of the things you can say about Latanzio is that he's he's not unwilling to kind of swallow his pride, so to speak, and play a build-up style that isn't exactly what he's spoken about liking, that short passing, that that build-up. Instead, he is happy to go long. And I think this is a game where we will see that, and I think we probably should see that, as it'll give us our best chance um, of creating goals, because they will be happy to bring players forward and attack and be aggressive. And it'll leave space for us. And it'll be a case of, can Capetti give us a better performance than he gave against DC? It'd be hard for it to be worse, but we need him to be an 8 out of 10 in that game. If he can run the channels, be aggressive, you know, win, high, win high restarts, throw-ins, corners, put himself about in a major way, have a bit of quality in the box if he gets an opportunity. It's Widerski as well. If he plays as well as he does against DC, maybe he'll have more opportunities on the ball in more space to uh, to show off that quality. And then mainly, if we do go with Gaines and Vargas again as the wingers, they'll have more space to work with in this game than they did against DC. And they're both players who who thrive in space. I mean, most wingers like to play in space, but they are two wingers, I think, whose game is elevated more by being in space and being in isolation than someone like uh, Josviaks is, who likes to play in that kind of sort of crab along the sideline way, uh, sort of relating with other players inside. With games in Vargas, it's what is happening, it's isolation. So there is an argument that New York City play into our hands a little bit in that way. They will give us space to attack. And whether we decide to take it or not, to Latanzio in the, uh, in the map, but if there's an area where we can get at them, against a, uh, a team which I don't think either of us will mind saying is better than us. I think that's where it'll be, getting into that space and being direct in build-up. Yeah, I think you, you touch on something. I think this is going to be a game of duels, and we're going to have to win our duels. I mean, this is going to be a game where the way we set up, the way that, that they want to come out and play, the way that we have been playing under Christian Latanzio, unless he randomly goes back to that four four two that never leaves our box again. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of places on the pitch where there's going to be one-on-ones and the person who wants the ball more is going to, is going to decide the outcome of this game. And in these games, I feel like it's usually the midfield that determines the winner in these games where, where duels really matter the the person who owns the middle of the pitch, who sees more movement through the middle of the pitch, who, who manages to, to muscle and hold off the ball better in the middle of the pitch is the team who creates more chances and ultimately goes on to score more chances. I do think that there is potentially, potentially a bit of hope uh, on the left wing for Kerwin Vargas. Basically, everyone in New York City FC's team is relatively young. They're all 20 to 22 to 24. You know, there are a couple people over that. Their midfield is a little older. Their wings are young. And with that, youth comes speed, but also sometimes comes mistakes. Um, uh, I'm not going to say this properly, uh, so please correct me, Ewan Ilinich, is that correct? Yeah, 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 that's, uh, I that's mean... As good as I'm capable of doing, and I, I am trying <laughs> my best. 
Um, their number 35, Ilinich, does seem to sort of be right now nailed on for them on that that right fullback position, and he's 18 years old. He's young. He is in a team that is not going to cater to him too much. Uh, they're in a team where when you play that 4-3-3 formation, everyone is expected to handle your own space. You're not going to have somebody right there to help you. Kerwin Vargas is young. He's fast. He might look at that at Ilnich and say, hey, you might be talented, but you're not the only talented kid around here. And he may get some really isolated opportunities out there that, that could make him a bit of a hero in this game. I think if we're going to see real attacks come in, they might have to start out there on the wing. Final thoughts for you, you in between uh, Charlotte FC and New York City FC? Um, I think what will be interesting is that one of the one of the areas of their team, which I think is most fascinating, is how they deploy the uh, lone striker because they do actually play quite deep. Um, it's almost similar, I think, for a good Charlotte FC kind of example to kind of picture it. It's it's the four three three that we played under Miguel Angel Ramirez when Swiderski was playing at number nine. He was up there as a number nine, and he was dropping in um, a lot of the time, helping him build up. You know, playing with uh, you know directly receiving the ball from fullbacks a lot of the time, not quite playing as a false nine, but, you know, being quite deep in, in build-up to, to help out with that. New York City do a little bit of that. So it'll be interesting to see how both, uh, well, I say both, how Melanda and whoever it may be who is playing next to him, how they handle that, not having someone to directly occupy, um, how they deal with a runner potentially coming into the box rather than the organisation of, you know, having a, a striker in between you. It'll be a test for them, um, as it will be in general for most of the team, because they've got a lot of good players. So I think between how our two centre-backs, whoever Wallander is playing next to, handle that alongside with how the two full-backs who play, who you have to imagine it'll probably be Burn and Offal, how they just handle having young playmakers who are good on the ball and quick. It's It's going to be a massive test for the back four. And... Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it's one of them where you can see a lot of ways where it might go wrong, but you know this this is one of those games where you feel quite down on the team, and then they sometimes go and surprise you. So it's hey, an opportunity we were, for them at home to do exactly that. We were quite down on the team before Columbus, and they went out and beat Columbus. So yeah, exactly, I am gonna, and. I, Orlando as well, I suppose. It, th- things weren't that positive going into that game. And That's we managed true. to win, so you never know. I am going to go ahead and move into my thing to watch for this match. Uh, and my thing to watch is going to be the midfield. Um, it's going to be whether or not we look like we want to dominate that midfield or whether or not we get pushed around. Um, I do genuinely believe that will be where this game is won or lost. And I want to see that they're up for the fight. I mean, I know Brent Bronico is always up for it, but I want to see that everybody else, you know, that Ashley Westwood is willing to get down and dirty, that uh, Carol Swiderski is not just going to run hard, but is also going to stand in strong and, and be the one who, who believes that he is going to get the second ball. I think that's going to be really critical. And uh, with that, we are going to start to wrap it up because this has been a long one. If you have taken the time this Wednesday to uh, listen to us and spend your time with us, we love you. If you want to find us online, you can reach out to us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast, on Twitter at the underscore crown cast, 
And you can find all the amazing stuff that Josh and Ewan do on the website at crowncast.net. And with all of that said, we will talk to you again after we go take our next three points at home from New York City FC. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com.